Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blended. This is the second episode of a brand new show for Let's Talk Supply Chain. Blended is all about opening up conversations and giving the mic to all of the underrepresented voices in our industry. Women, the LGBTQIA community, people of color, those with disabilities, whether they're visible or hidden, and many, many more. There's a lot of talent out there that hasn't been given the platform it deserves. And there's also a general lack of understanding out there when it comes to minority groups. So Blended is here to change all of that. Before we get started with episode two, Story of My Life, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, Ships. Ships is a new platform bringing neutral bid and ship freight solutions to mid-market shippers. Working to simplify the complexity often found in logistics, the Ships platform closes the gap between shippers and forwarders, creating an accessible and hassle-free supply chain for all. Using insight-driven change, collaboration, and a passion for better business, Ships delivers industry-leading solutions for its customers. Find out more at ships shipz.com apex diversity and inclusion is a core value of apex logistics with over 80% minority employed and 42% female executive leadership apex understands that celebrating diversity in the workplace is vital and impactful bringing together a variety of backgrounds and skill sets to create a strong and collaborative culture with highly skilled individuals our partnership with blended emphasizes our commitment to this important principle. And last but not least, Mercado. At Mercado, diversity is a foundational issue. Having spent our entire careers in a global industry, we welcome and celebrate diversity. It's an honor to support Let's Talk Supply Chain and Blended in their efforts to promote diversity in such a meaningful and impactful way. Mercado is an international supply chain platform that creates solutions for importers by transforming supply chain processes, allowing companies to bring their products to market better, faster and cheaper. Mercado's goals focus on mitigating risk and eliminating pain across the international supply chain. This ultimately ensures companies get their products to market with greater efficiency and at a lower cost through leveraging the platform's 70 plus procurement, ordering and shipping features. Welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by a group of supply chain professionals who have some amazing stories to tell that we can all really learn from. So welcome to Martin, Angie, Lamont, Claudia, and Madison. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. So today in episode two, story of my life, we're going to be delving into our guest stories and the impact they've had on their lives. This is a really interesting topic because often it's assumed that personal lives and the corporate world don't mix, but it's actually our personal lives, the experiences we've had and the stories we've had to share that make us who we are, that inform our decisions, and oftentimes actually drive our careers. So let's get started by getting to know everyone on the show today. So starting with you, Madison, tell us who you are, what you do, and how do you identify? Okay. Hi, um, I'm Madison Lynn Mobley. So I'm giving y'all the, the government name today in the spirit of transparent sharing. Um, I am a senior account executive at Fair Market. And real quick, for those unfamiliar, um, we're a startup in the procurement source to pay space. And we're an intelligent sourcing platform that revolutionizes the way organizations buy stuff. 
As for how I identify, I am absolutely a millennial. I'm a woman. I'm 1000% black. And I would identify as the Q in the LGBTQIA plus community. So I fall somewhere between the letters depending on the day. That's me. Awesome. And where are you coming in from? I'm originally from Dallas, Texas, so I just need that to be out there and playing. But I'm currently residing in Boston, Massachusetts. Awesome. Thanks, <laughs> Madison. Currently. Now over to Lamont. Yeah. Lamont, let's go to you next. Where are you from? Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. So Lamont Robinson. I'm a CEO of uh, Robinson LaRuco Consulting, uh, supplier diversity consulting firm. And I'm based out of the Dallas area, actually, Madison. So, but originally from Chicago. So I've been here for 12 years, but I'm, I'm still a shy town at, at heart um, person. So um, now, see, this is where my ignorance comes in as far as how do I identify. So I, you know, I'm I'm married, straight. So I'm an advocate as strong as anyone. Um, so this is where you educate me. All right. So, all right. No, that was what great. What would I be? Perfect. Perfect. I guess um, maybe person of color? Advocate. As well? Well, I'm definitely a person of color. So um, I'm actually, um, my, you know, long story short, my I met my dad when I was 30. And so um, his last name is LaRue. So um, I found out a whole set because I'm into genealogy. And so I'm looking at, um, you know, French Actually, Lamont is a French name, but um, I can't say my mom was thinking France when she named me that in the housing project of Chicago. So, (laughs) but so, yeah, African-American. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Lamont. Well, we're going to go to Claudia next because she's actually sitting in Chicago. Yes, I am. And Lamont, you can come and visit us anytime for some delicious pizza. Uh, May, in May. (laughs) Absolutely, in May. Um, So uh, my name is Claudia Freed, and my role here is uh, I am CEO and president of EAL Green, which is a very creative nonprofit organization that really converts surplus materials into scholarships for students. And we will hear why that is such an important part of who I am. I was born and raised in Argentina in a small town where most everyone there worked either for the government or for the university. So education is central to my life. And I identify, uh, if we think in terms of my personality, I am an extrovert. I am a mother of twin girls. One is a landscape architect and the other one an accordion player. So art and passion are number one in my personal life. In business, I got to keep intellect high and emotion low. Awesome. So that's who I am. I love that. Martin, next, over to you. I know it's very early in Australia right now. Yeah, it's just gone 10 past five in the morning. So I'm Martin Stark, originally from the UK, but identify as an Australian. I'm a gay male. And first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where I currently am, the Camaragal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. What I do is a day job is IT strategic sourcing, which I've done for the last 10 years. Um, but I've created a not-for-profit, the World Gay Boxing Championships Limited. And we are a straight-friendly, LGBTQ-inclusive boxing organisation. And I'm planning to hold the first ever World Inclusive Boxing Championships in Sydney in 2023 when we host World Pride. 
So that's my passion for the next few years. That is awesome. I can't wait to hear more about that. And last but not least, we have Angie, who some people might know from our Woman in Supply Chain series. Hi, it's great to be here. Um, I'm kind of like Lamont because I was like, okay, how do you identify? But um, I'm definitely... I'm definitely, uh, I think I'm, I don't know. Anyway, well, the reason I say that is because recently I had, I moved into, uh, I moved somewhere and I have this great picture of this woman who's walking along a beach and it's by Krista Funk, one of the few female surfers out there. And the reason I purchased her, um, pictures is because as a woman in supply chain and in transportation, we all know that it's a male dominated industry. And, but because it has a, her, her, butt is featured in it because she's walking away my my 12 year old thinks I'm gay now <laughs> and I'm like well okay what's wrong with that so yeah um Angela Reno worked for Crowley uh the government services side and am quickly realizing that there's a lot of young uh incredibly uh, dynamic women who are seeking out a a to carve their own pathway but yet are incredibly respected respectful of what we've done uh, ahead of them. So I'm so excited about the next generation that leads us into, you know, global shipping and supply chain. So, and, and thank you so much, Sarah. I really yeah. appreciate being here. Awesome. I love that. And I love hearing everybody's introduction. And so let's just get started. So let's start with you, Martin. Um, one look at your LinkedIn profile, and obviously from your introduction today, really shows people what you stand for. Um, and you're basically the poster boy for what we're trying to do with this series called Blended. But I'm sure it's safe to say that it was a long and winding road that led you to this place of courage and pride. So why don't you tell us your story? So for me, I said the real story started in 2006. Um, I had gallstones blocking my liver, went to the UK for what should have been a quick trip to introduce my husband to the family. I ended up having pancreatitis, septic shock. I was in place in two induced comas, had a tracheotomy and didn't realise how courageous I was. Uh, I was in hospital for two months, came back to Australia, had major surgery Ended up back in hospital about four times after the surgery, and I was diagnosed with the rare autoimmune condition, Allison's disease. So I've had probably 70-plus hospital admissions in the last 14 years. I've died, almost died several times. I didn't realise how courageous I was being. I was a consummate professional of perfectionism was my standard, which I could never reach. And it wasn't really until 2016 when I read a performance review which said Martin should be more courageous, and I just switched it on like that. So I started being more courageous, delivering more, and then 18 months ago, I started out on LinkedIn with my journey and I wasn't working at the time. So I was able to have more creative freedom in what I said. And I started talking about procurement. It wasn't long before I was talking about courage, inclusion, boxing. I had the words courage and fear nothing tattooed on my back. And by sharing with what I stand for and what I believe, when most people fear the consequences of what they say, I really don't care so much. As long as you're inclusive, you're engaging. That's where I've established my voice and started to really help other people. That's awesome. I think I just got goosebumps. Did anybody else just get goosebumps from that story? Because <laughs> I can't be the only one. So people say what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger, right? So would you be yeah. who you are today without that story? Yeah, I think so. I think I would have got there eventually. But I think I talk about a strategy called the Courage Bank is our experiences propel us forward. There's something within us and sometimes you need permission 
to say something and we often seek to others to give us that permission so as a as a gay male you know i've been in the office environment where there've been the gay jokes and i've joined in those gay jokes but now i don't and i, and I stand firm but it just needed that spark within me to make that change and for me it was probably the health crisis to get me there but there's something within us don't let other people tell you what you can do just do it for yourself so it's interesting that you bring that up because you're talking about how you engaged with the gay jokes initially and now you stand up against them. So what what does that look like for you? What was that journey and what would you maybe suggest to other people that are faced with that as well? I think part of it was just my sense of humor at the time. There was a self-deprecating humor, but I think it was also about fitting in and feeling that to fit in was to humor breaks down barriers but why should my sexuality be the butt of the joke? Why should that always be? You can make gay jokes, which, which is fine. It's about breaking that barrier down. But why is it then my sexuality is the forefront of that conversation? Yeah. And I've decided to take that away. And we should still have humour. But for me, that self-deprecating humour wasn't doing my brand any good. It wasn't doing me any good. So I decided to really stand firm and, and push back. And I got more respect for doing that. Nice. And I think we can kind of all relate. Is there anybody else, you know, on this panel that we're talking to today that, you know, might not be able to relate to gay jokes specifically, but self-deprecating jokes that are happening, you know, all around us all the time that maybe we don't stand up or, you know, can you share something with that? I don't know, Lamont, do you have anything or maybe Madison? You know, I think, um, well, first of all, absolutely. I'm sure we all do, you know, based on uh, not only sexual orientation, but gender and race, you know, and um, definitely from a race perspective, uh, you know, I've, I've, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't even know if Martin knows this, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a black Mormon. <laughs> and so, um, which is rare. And so initially, uh, you know, I'd get caught up in, uh, you know, again, just some of those jokes, you know, and things of that nature. And then to a point where it's just like, you know what, it doesn't matter, like, how I worship my God, um, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do what I can do to help other people, um, you know, how I decide to worship is 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 up to me. And so, uh, so yeah, and I, I used to get a lot of those jokes, you know, mostly from, unfortunately, my African-American side than the other side. And so, you know, um, and I, I'm, you know, maybe Madison, you can relate to this, you know, you hear you sell out and stuff like that. And, and you know, and I, and I never let those things bother me. You know, I just, um, you know, I, I don't get offended easily. Um, but, but I am very outspoken if if I if I hear somebody that's trying to offend. So so yeah no and and my thing is if you're joking about that that means that you're joking about some other things as well that you shouldn't. And so my thing is if you don't if I don't stand up and 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 uh, and speak out then uh, I'm doing not only myself a disservice but anybody else that's at a disadvantage. Yeah. Sorry, can I can I join that and just uh, comment on how I've heard the, you know, um, some, some people have said, oh, you know, well, she's emotional, right? And uh, in the room you get, you know, well, you know, that's because the emotions are there. Uh, but I, I find that some of the most passionate uh, males are emotional too, and that drives them. So in the last, it, it, and I am, part of me is ashamed to say it in the last year I've, I've become more cognizant. Why haven't I become uh, cognizant and more active on that before, you know, that, yeah. you know, so I'd like to agree with you on that one, Lamont. 
Well, yeah. And I was actually just going to jump in and say from a female perspective, I mean, we get that all the time, right? Like how many times have you heard, oh, it must be her time of the month? Mm. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I thank God in the last year, I've heard much less of that because that's, that's, you know, beyond inappropriate. But what we have to do is we have to keep talking about this because five years ago, that wasn't inappropriate. Right. Madison, I think you wanted to jump in there. Sorry. Yeah. I think for, for me, what I, and I, I actually absolutely agree with Lamont's point earlier that it, it's not just in particular communities where these jokes are happening. It, it's also within our own communities, depending on how we identify. And so what I have really tried to do is just use those opportunities to educate um, and ask questions. It's hard because I think we've all been socialized to a degree to have very quick trigger reactions to certain comments. But one thing I've learned is when it comes to how jokes are structured, et cetera, it's oftentimes something that was heard by an adult a long time ago when we were younger that just continues to proliferate conversation. And so asking questions has been my way to just kind of full stop it in a manner that doesn't put someone else on the defensive all over again. Right. But it's it's hard. It's yeah. it's hard to do sometimes. Do you have do you have an example of something or a situation that you've that they've said something and then the question that you've actually asked them? Yeah, so so my my story very much includes, you know, I am am black and there are statistics that have to do with, you know, the inner cities, for example, predominantly Black and Hispanic, particularly when you look at how America is broken out. I, I did not grow up in the inner city. I grew up in the suburbs. I didn't grow up in in poverty. That That is my truth. Um, I was taught by my parents, subject verb agreement. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm speaking white, right? It just means I understand that there's a subject and a predicate. But very often I was criticized for how I speak. And I've lost count of how many times I've been pulled over because the police didn't believe I lived where I said I lived, right? And so I, I do have a lot of examples, but I think those, those times just illuminate how much work we still have to do and why forums such as this where we're telling stories um, and educating one another around all the different flavors of humanity that exist. That's why this is so important. Yeah. You know, Madison, yeah. yeah. I don't mean to cut it, cut into it, but <laughs> you, you just, you triggered something. So I, I would always tell people when they would say, you're trying to speak white. I said, no, I'm not trying to speak white. I'm trying to speak right. It's English. English is, does not have a color to it. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it is. But I remember being six or seven and I'm like, what are y'all talking about at dinner to where this is even a thing that that is coming into the elementary school? Like these are my earliest memories. Right. So I think I'm just glad we're having these conversations because I I think the more we do this, the more visibility we have into one another's real life experiences. And then you can begin to adjust how how we speak to one another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Claudia, did you want to jump in here? Uh, yes, English is my second language. Uh, so when we talk about understanding 
and communicating one another. And I'll bring a very specific example in my uh, business world, uh, not in this company, but in a previous company. I am married to a Jew mm-hmm. and I converted to Judaism. And so we have different antennas, right, in our conversations for what we are looking for, what what we're listening to. And I was able to negotiate a very aggressive, profitable contract for the company. And the VP in the discussion said, oh, Claudia, I see that you have learned some skills from your husband. Now, my husband is an award-winning pediatrician. He sees kids for free in his clinic, but the bias and the direct uh, comment set a completely new dimension in how I view situations and back to all of our experiences, how we learn. It said to me that women are not valued in financial transactions. Absolutely. You just, I think my face, if anybody could see me right now, my face is like red as a tomato because that made me really mad. (laughs) But I didn't let it break me. So what did you do? How did you respond? I cried. I think I am very emotional. I cried. Um, I told my husband who wasn't really offended because he grew up with that feeling. Mm. And there is a different reaction to that. Uh, the interesting thing was that the husband, the, the individual who had said this, uh, his wife uh, recognized they must have been in the kitchen table talking about this. And the wife called me the next day to apologize. Yes. And so I said, you know, we are whole and complete human beings. We have personalities. We have biases. I spoke with this individual years later, and he thought it was a compliment because I had done such a good job. Wow. See, that is why we are doing this show, because at the end of the day, he thought he was giving you a compliment. It impacted your life in a very different way than he thought it would. And we need to start educating people so that they can see it from different perspectives and that we can really respect what other people go through when we do make comments like that. So then, Claudia, I'm going to stick with you. Why don't you tell us about your story? Um, I know that you said that you are living proof that purpose-driven businesses transform lives. So tell us, what do you mean by that? And tell us a bit about your story and your background. Right. So I came into the story of the company that I now run as a protagonist. I was not an inventor. I'm not the founder. I came into an idea that was founded in 1982 where supply chain professionals were recognizing that resources were available, but in the wrong place of the ecosystem. Some companies had excess inventory cluttering their loading docks, and across town there were colleges and universities that were going without the proper equipment and the proper supplies to run their campuses. So these two executives said, what if we use supply chain and logistics to redeploy the product that is in excess in one part and it's a deficit in another? And they created this bartering model that is predicated on corporate philanthropy. So you have companies that have the opportunity to donate products, colleges and universities that are the beacon of intellect, innovation, but they're more 
difficult than we think about changing the way they do things. So they opened up the minds of the colleges that if they were willing to take excess products and exchange the value for a scholarship, they will be exercising cost savings for their operations and advocating for a model of paying it forward in society. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. What did it what did it look like coming from Argentina into the US? And what about that part of your story and then taking over this company? What did that all look like? I was the second daughter of a professor and a college president. So like Madison, I grew up in an environment where education was very important, uh, language studies. Um, that was the center of my life. I wanted to be a doctor and I would be the one in the backyard doing all kinds of experiments. But then I came to the U.S. and English got on the way chemical uh, studies, and I married a doctor, as I said, instead. Uh, uh, so coming from Argentina as a young student, I was an exchange student. And the first thing that happened was I arrived on January 2nd, 1981, when there was um, snow. I never seen snow before. And I had rings because I was a very fashionable 17-year-old. I had rings in all my fingers and little chains around my neck. And my American mom said, that's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go. That's not how we do it here. So from the moment of coming to this country, it's, it's, it's a process of adapting. And I think that that was part of the success of my immigrant experience, which uh, was I did not take that personal, I said, I have to fit in. And we have to fit into our culture, whether it's at home, at work, in our communities. Coming alone to an American family that later on was the gateway to this model of exchanging inventory uh, was really transformative because I could value that I was bringing a different perspective into an idea that I did not know at the time was just a pipe dream. To entrepreneurs, they didn't know that this idea will work. I was eligible for a scholarship, which was the result of two motors donated by W.W. Granger, the company. Cool. They became a scholarship for a student at North Park College. I was in the right place at the right time with the amount of need necessary. They put the model together. And we are now here 38 years later. Wow. Awesome. After studying economics, I was able to come to work for EAL, and three years ago, the next chapter started, and we'll talk a little bit later, when I became CEO. Awesome. Awesome. Did you have any challenges with the language barrier? Did you come across anybody that, you know, um, treated you differently because of that, and did it impact you in a negative way, and, and or how did you turn it into a positive? Uh, as Madison said, we use all the skills that we have, right? We, uh, we ask questions. I sometimes realize that my accent forces people to listen more closely. But when I get nervous, I have to slow down because I may say something wrong. Don't we For all. example, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tend to fix, uh, I get the phrase correct, but I'll give you two quick examples. Um, I, I had a, a, a sweetheart in college and we broke up and someone else said, Claudia, don't worry, I'll take you out to a movie tonight. And I said, Eric, that's, that's very nice. Uh, he said, uh, 
but I am broke and I wouldn't, I would take you to dinner as well, but I don't have any money. And I said, don't worry, we can go French. (laughs) (laughs) The expression is we can go Dutch. And he was very excited, you know, thinking about a French date with Claudia. Uh, But in a more serious uh, anecdote, in my first corporate job, I was buttoned down and I was crossing all the the T's and dotting all the I's. And I was delegated to go to listen to a benefits announcement the company was making. I took notes. I came back to report out to my team. And after I gave a very detailed report and all the benefits, health insurance, vacation, the administrative assistant to the CEO stood up and said, well, Claudia, we already know all that. It was in the memo. And I said, Susan, why do you make me waste my saliva? <laughs> the expression is waste your breath. Waste your breath. So yeah. when you are learning a language, you can laugh, you can learn. But those experiences have reminded me that we are incredibly human. And if somebody cannot laugh at something like that, um, as as Martin said, if uh, or or Lamont, excuse me, I can't remember who brought this up. If they're laughing at something, they're laughing at other things. Yeah, yeah, that was Lamont. And you just brought up something that I remember from Modern Family was when (laughs) Sofia Fergara was she said baby cheeses, and you know everybody thought she said baby Jesus, but she was saying baby cheeses or something like that. I can't remember. It's like the only episode I watched. Uh, but but languages are powerful, very powerful, and and uh, uh, particularly in this day and age, I think it's just a metaphor to remind us all to um, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Madison, did you want to jump in here? You may as well. If you want to jump in and jump in on Claudia's story, we can also get started on your story too. Oh, I was simply going to add that Sophia had a lot of those moments on Modern yes, Family. <laughs> there were a few every episode where well, we loved her for it. <laughs> we absolutely did love her for it. All right. Well, Madison, since we're since uh, you jumped in here, why don't we talk a little bit about your story? Tell us, tell us what that looks like. I know you've got some initiatives going on right now. You're an ambassador for the Sustainable Procurement Pledge and founder and CEO of Kickstart Your Humanitarianism. And I know you didn't want me to use that word, but I wanted to use that word. No, you did great. I just didn't know, depending on what time of day it was and how much coffee you had, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but you did great. You did great. Um, so as as far as my story, I did mention earlier that I personally didn't grow up in the inner city. I personally didn't grow up in poverty. So kind of the exact opposite of how the, the Black experience is most often depicted in America. Um But I'll add now to say, you know, I'm the daughter of James and Winona Mobley. I'm the oldest of three kids. Um, And my home was not a a broken home, um, if you all have heard that phrase. And in fact, my home was so unbroken that don't worry about exactly how old I am, y'all. But I have yet to see my parents even have like a heated dispute. And wow. I think debates are healthy. I think arguments are definitely a thing that I would consider normal enough, but, I, but I've never seen it. Just so you guys understand, like the bubble that I, that I kind of grew up in. Um, but what got me to a place where I became very, very passionate about 
humanitarianism and what it means to be a, a human um, globally twofold. So one, very early on, I was put in what was called like gifted and talented courses. So I don't know if you all grew up in, in this particular era, but I remember being six years old, which was the first grade. And once a week, you go into these gifted and talented classes. Don't even remember why or how they classified me as such. I'm definitely not a dummy. However, to be six years old and you're already seeing kids being put on tracks, right? And you start to see the separation in in how students are treated, their confidence levels. Our brains aren't even developed at that age. So very early on, I saw that, that life. But then on the flip side, I come home and I definitely had one of those families where every night, 7 p.m., we sit around the table for family dinner and our conversations were different. When you get pulled over, Madison, because you will, don't touch anything. And then when you share those stories with your classmates, they're not getting those stories at dinner. They're being told you can be all that you can be, put your mind, I didn't get those talks. Um, And so for me, very early on, you see the, the polarization of no matter how successful you are, if you also possess other characteristics, the roads aren't necessarily the same. And so I think it was that early awareness that drives my passion today to drive more conversations around what should the human experience look like, regardless of where you come from. Um, So I'm blessed today to be working on a nonprofit that focuses most specifically on millennials, because I think we're like that next big group that's going to be leading organizations and all those things. And how do we um, approach the art of giving back? But then in my day job, working with Fair Market has been an equal blessing, because right now I think the biggest thing that we're tackling is how to drive supplier diversity programs through all the cool and exciting, you know, tech buzzwords like artificial intelligence, robotics. And that's been a phenomenal um, body of work that we're starting to build. And so being able to tackle both in my personal and professional life has been a gift, I'll say. And that, that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. Awesome. I love that story. And I think you bring up a really great point because, and it's something that we're going to tackle later on in the series is sort of like social inequality, right? Whether you go to Catholic school, whether you go to public school, whether you go to private school, you know, it looks different for everybody. Um, and you get put into those situations and, you know, it's, you, you have to learn from it. And you've got to figure it out for yourself and what that looks like for you. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. Whereas I think traditionally and before, depending on how old you are and and what era you grew up in, everybody put you in a box and, you know, you were, you were headed to go get a job and things are just so much different now. Does anybody else have anything to sort of jump in on, on Madison's story and just, just, um, you know, talk about your own experiences when it comes to that? So I'm going to talk about an experience. My husband's from Africa, I'm not going to name the country, and I've, I've received more preferential treatment being a white person in Africa than my husband and peers. Uh, an example, 
I'm going to call out the police. Uh, one of my friends, we were going to host a barbecue. He was just packing things back in the in the car. Police officer came over to him, was giving him some grief. I came over and said, is everything okay? The police officer backed down. So the police officer was trying to elicit a bribe. But being as a white male, he knew I wouldn't stand for it. And even entering, in, entering the country, I was asked if I had anything to declare to customs, meaning am I going to give a bribe? And the answer was no. And then when someone was asked, can I have some of your money, please? It's like, no, you can't. And I took my suitcase away. Would that have been the same for somebody of that country entering? Probably, probably not. So just people talk about white privilege. I think people understand the extent being white and probably being a male and speaking out, getting a voice has. And you can amplify your voice by using your privilege to help other people who may not have those same opportunities. Yeah, you absolutely can. And I think one of the things to point out here is that you can do it in a variety of different ways. You know, you can influence and start to influence where you are at. So, you know, with everything that's been going on with Black Lives Matter, I don't know if everybody knows, but my husband's background is Trinidadian and my stepchildren are mixed. And so these are conversations that we've been able to have, you know, with everybody opening up the dialogue and opening up the discussion and just sort of talking about it. You know, how do you identify? What does that look like for you? What what scares you? You know, what experiences have you had? You know, how can I help you? And so I think, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this, people think that we need to be on the stage and we need to be able to make an influence from, you know, uh, you know, social media or from a stage standpoint, but you can make it, you can make a difference just locally where you stand and just start there. Madison? On Saturday morning in Sydney, um, there's the NSARS movement in Nigeria, which is trying to police brutality in Nigeria. There were 10 people protesting in the CBD of Sydney. I took a photograph and I shared it on LinkedIn. And it's been my most successful post ever. It's had about 25 shares, so many different comments because wow. people in Sydney protesting about a movement in Nigeria. I post it on LinkedIn and that's had an impact in Sydney to people all over the world. Yeah, it's really just about taking a picture and posting it on social media. That's that's what I mean. Like, just start by influencing wherever you can. And if that means that it's just inside your household, I mean, you're making a difference that way too. I I wanted wanted to... um as I was walking the dog thinking about this coming up, I'm like, what, you know, what value really is talking about things? And I came up with a concept of hard line versus soft line, right? We have a lot of uh, companies that are saying, you know, oh, diversity and inclusion, and we've got to get a, you know, we've hired this new VP, and, uh, you know, this is, this is how it's got to be. The XPO logistics guy is very, very, very vocal on LinkedIn. But I think we have to start asking a question, is this a soft line or is this a hard line? And a hard line is this will not be tolerated. And a hard line is we're going to measure what's happening. And a hard line is we're going to take a survey from the employees on the front line. And a hard line is we're going to get the data and we're going to get the opinions of the people that are in the mix. A soft line is we have this great program Here's the VP of Human Resources. Here's our video that you need to watch. Here's our one, our one or two question survey. You know, if you, and Martin, I see you shaking your head, right? But in Madison, you, I mean, the hard line is a completely different world from the soft line. And that huge part in between, 
that's where all the infringement upon rights, upon, upon like, you know, Claudia, you being told that, hey, great, glad your husband's a certain, you know, race or ethnic or religious mm-hmm. uh, persuasion, because guess what? That helped you. No, that's unacceptable. And the hard line of it is, is that his wife did the right thing. And she kind of sat down her husband and, and, and educated him. So I think we have to have those conversations. And Madison, we have to ask that question. Is this a hard line or a soft line? And that's kind of the only smart thing I might bring to the table today. <laughs> but <laughs> there you go. Angie, and I was I walking my that, dog. No, no, no. But that, that, that's a perfect example in, in so many ways that applies. First of all, uh, we women uh, sometimes do things uh, that disempower us. Um, and, and perhaps... In the, in the candor of this conversation, we can also uh, give each other loving feedback, right? Saying, I hope that was helpful. It was very helpful, full stop, right? We don't have to apologize. And I, I think that the other uh, powerful uh, idea, and I love this hard line and, and uh, uh, soft line, and I will apply it here at work in the team. I think it's a very good um, framework. Uh, it, it's also the importance of uh, being true role model in your own organization. That incident early on in another career, in another life, made me extremely sensitive to uh, our colleague Shin. Shin is Chinese. Uh, she studied mechanical engineering, came to the United States, came to Chicago, the University of Illinois at Circle Campus. Lamont probably knows there by Roosevelt and wanted to become an accountant. And she did. And she learned to be an accountant and learned to speak English so well that then eventually she came to me and said, Claudia, I have been offered a better job with bigger pay. And I said, it's the greatest joy. Go and seek that. She said, but I want to stay and help EAL, do the great things that you are doing. So six years ago, she stayed as a volunteer in our organization. And I never forgot how we make assumptions about background. And Shin, who's Chinese, and she teaches me Mandarin here and there, has brought that perspective in my life because we are committed to having a diverse team and different perspectives. So one of the points that I wanted to just emphasize we we must walk the walk and talk the talk. And we are powerful examples ourselves. Yeah. And call each other out and self-examine our attitudes. And remember, uh, not everyone has the experience we have. And having Sarah get us all together to talk about things uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a real way, and it's painful sometimes to open up. It, it's part of the healing, part of why it's important to do this. Yeah. And remembering yeah. how you felt when that happened, yeah. right? When you're going through it with somebody else and you've been through something like that, how did that make you feel? And how do you think you want to make the other person feel in that situation? Sorry, Lamont. Yeah, I was just going to say, Claudia, you touched, you touched on, um, you know, in terms of perception and assumptions. So if somebody were to hear me speak, you know, you probably would think that I, I grew up, you know, similar to what Madison, like how, how you uh, how you grew up. 
<clears throat> but it was just the opposite. So, you know, I grew up actually not too far from that UIC campus on the, on the, uh, the west side of Chicago in a, in a housing project. You know, I, I, I did unfortunately live a life that's stereotypical as far as what you see out there in, in, uh, in the media where, you know, grew up uh, youngest of four. Um, mom was, was a single mom. I didn't meet my dad until I was almost 30. Uh, grew up in a, in, a, in a neighborhood where we got shot at and chased on, an, on a consistent basis. You know, myself, I was probably six inches away from uh, not being on this call or on this earth. Um, <clears throat> and a couple of situations away from police um, falsely accusing me uh, just because they wanted to, uh, to basically label um, me and, and, and ba basically literally throw handcuffs on me to uh, put me uh, in a squad car. But then my neighborhood came to my to my assistance and, and uh, I had established a brand with them. So they came to my defense and rescued me. So. So, yeah, unfortunately, I, I grew up like that. You know, I thought it was normal to uh, come into an apartment and see, um, you know, family members on one side snorting cocaine and, you know, and on the other side, wiping off a sawed off shotgun before they run out and shoot at gang members. And so. For me, uh, my escape was uh, was education. So I got in a program called A Better Chance, which takes academically gifted inner city kids and placed them into better high schools. And, and what's interesting, so I left home, man, when I was I left home when I was 14 to go to this school right outside of Philadelphia called Lower Marion, where Kobe Bryant went. He came two years after I graduated, and so I went. I came from a, an all African American ghetto into a rich Jewish suburb, and you want to talk about you don't fit in both worlds, you know? So when you go to the rich Jewish suburb, um, they're looking at me, cause you know, a lot of us from this, from Chicago, African-Americans, we migrated, our parents migrated from the South. And so you're, you're speaking in that type of tone and dialect in terms of uh, Southern, you know? Um, so for me, I thought finna was a word, you know, like I'm finna go to the store. Like I typed that, that was before word processor. So I typed that in the paper thinking that that was a word and <laughs> my teacher's like, what's going on? So because of that, I was reluctant to speak. Uh, I was quiet, I was shy, uh, which really isn't my personality, but I was afraid to say anything because I thought that they thought that I, would, I, I was sounding ignorant. And so that's why grammar is extremely important for me. But then when I go back home, into my old neighborhood and they see that um, to, to the earlier point that uh, Madison and I talked about, I didn't fit in sometimes there because they thought that I was trying to be white and they didn't, and they didn't see um, that I was trying to get out the right way. So fortunately I had a, um, a group of friends um, that we formed a, 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 a dance group. You know, it was right after the Jacksons performed the Motown 25 and you know, I got the group together and of course I was going to be Michael. So I had a Jerry curl at that time. And so um, I said, <laughs> let's form this group. And then we went from that to when Purple Rain came out, we formed a, a Prince in a Revolution band. And then we went to New Edition. And so I say all of that to say that that was our way out. And really that group protected us because when, if the gang saw that we were trying to do something that we shouldn't have been doing in that neighborhood, they wanted us to get out the right way. They didn't want to do what they were doing. It's just that they had to hustle because that's all they knew. But they told us, they said, no, you're not going to do what we do. We need you to get out the right way. Um, but what it did was it protected us. It allowed me to be able to escape that neighborhood. But then once I went away for school, it was like I didn't fit in, in either side. 
Amazing story. And I love that you shared that with us. When you did transition into that school or into your post-secondary, what were some of the challenges that you ha- that maybe you faced that a lot of other people might face? And how did you deal with some of those challenges and those things that you came up against? Did you educate like, you know, Madison saying with asking questions and different things like that? Did you internalize it? What did you do? Yeah, you know, the, the, what's funny about it, and we didn't find out this till later, but the, 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 the community that we lived in, in the Philadelphia program, so it was, a, it was a town called Ardmore, or it's a town called Ardmore. And so Ardmore, um, it has, it's, it's, uh, it's mixed economically, um, mixed even, you know, uh, ethnically. And, but the African-Americans in that, in that area, they thought that, they knew we came from bad neighborhoods, but they thought that we were bad kids. And so, you know, a better chance, ABC, they would make fun of it and say it's ABC stood for like all butter and cheese or abandoned black children. And so they would make these cruel jokes about us. And and we're like, you know, yeah, we came from bad neighborhoods, but I'm smarter than you are. (laughs) So I was a valedictorian in elementary school. So don't assume just because I came from this neighborhood that, you know, you're going to label me. And so what it did for me is it forced me to not allow anybody to label me. You know, I had a, and I'll tell a quick story. I had a situation where later on when I was in the uh, workforce where a, um, I was working for this corporation and, and, and I had just gotten my MBA and there was a, uh, a Caucasian manager a couple of steps above, above my, my grade. And there was a manager position that I was trying to go after. And so I talked to him, his name was Pat. And I said, Pat, I'd love to go after this open managerial spot. And he said, um, I don't see you as a manager. And so I'm waiting for him to tell me why didn't he see me as a manager? And he never did. And he just said, you know, I don't see you as a manager. So anyway, long story short, I got an opportunity um, at, a, at another company that was about a hundred times bigger than them. So once I got that and I accepted it, I walked into Pat's office and I said, um, I said, Pat, I, I have to agree with you. I said, um, I don't see me as a manager either of a $5 billion company. I see me as a director for a $100 billion company. And then I nice. walked out and gave my resignation. So I'll never let anybody label me um, you know, for anything, you know, there was a situation where I was at an airport about to board a flight and I'm suited up and everything. And there was a Caucasian lady that was sitting down and she had a purse on the seat in between us. She looked at me when I sat down and she automatically grabbed her purse. And I'm like, wait a minute. And, and so it just so happens I got upgraded to first class. And so I'm sitting in my first class seat. And so guess who comes and sits next to me? It's the same lady. She's trying to have a conversation with me and I put my headphones on and just zoned out. Don't talk to me after that. So don't ever label me. Right, right. That's an amazing story. And it's, it's shown what the impact, what impact it had to your life and how you continue to live it that way because of the story and, and the challenges that you've been through in the past. I just want to let everybody know because you actually wrote a book telling your story and that's called Transform National Journey of a Bastard. Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that the subtitle always gets people. Um, and the reason why I put that there is because, um, I, again, I didn't meet my dad until I was almost 30. 
And so when I when I came up with that title and I wrote the uh, the you know the uh, the intro, I gave it to a good friend of mine who's uh, who's very open, vocal, and and very candid, which is what I needed. So he read the first uh, version I had, and he said, Lamont, he said, this is this is not good. He said, you you could have done better than this. He said, you weren't even a bastard. You were lower than a bastard. And at first I got, you know, I got pissed off a little bit, but then I thought about it and I, and I saw what he was trying to do. He was trying to get me to go back into that pain um, and, and to really write from that perspective. And that's exactly what I did. So, yeah, so I, I came out with the book in 2014 and, and, um, and, and it's really about overcoming those challenges growing up in an area like that and uh, being able to, uh, to find success. Awesome. And it just goes to show like everybody on this call is doing different things. They're influencing in different ways. Um, You know, not only telling their story on this episode, but also through different um, through either through their companies like Claudia or Madison through your nonprofit and Martin for you as well through your nonprofit. So last but not least, I want to turn it over to Angie and I want you to talk about your story and what impacts it's had on your life and your career. And then we'll get into a couple of discussion points before we, before we end the episode. Thank you. Well, I think it's uh, ironic that I'm blonde and blue-eyed, so I I had worked for a lot of uh, European companies, started at Maersk, and with that, um, you know, you fit in, right? But the funny thing is you fit into a certain level. And um, one of the companies that I did work for, um, you might hear my dog, but one of the companies I worked for, I I actually ended up walking out uh, because, you know, I, I just couldn't... There was this, this, for lack of a better description, there was this uh, European boys club, which was really tough to, to deal with. And I think the final straw for me was having a, a, somebody get, who was a known, you know what, they, they, were, they were just, they were known to, uh, they were known predator, right, so to speak, with some of the women. But because he, he was very close to a high-level person, nothing was ever done about it. And, you know, that, that, that culture was so insipid that you, you just can't fight it. You just can't fight it. So I, I, I just left. But the, but the hard part about that is the, the lack of change that you see in those types of companies. The good news is that company isn't around anymore. And, and, you know, is that a, a justification? No. But it is an example that, you know, maybe what they're doing and the priorities that they're taking financially and who they're promoting just because they're in the club isn't providing the company the business acumen. I mean, that's, that's just one of many stories that are out there. And it's, it's you know, when people listen to this, especially some young women and older women too, they're not going to be shocked because they they live it, right? Um, I wasn't as uh, graceful or as uh, direct as you, Lamont. I didn't go in and and quit like that. I just said, you know, Claudia, I I have deference, a lot of that in me, but I just said, yeah, thanks. I'll take that exit package and smell you later, right? So, like Fresh Prince would say, (laughs) right? So that's the story, but um, how do you change that? I mean, that's just a sad story, 
right? Mm -hmm. So what you have to do and what I am doing now, what I am doing is I'm telling those, you know, young girls, Hey, look, you know, if you're uncomfortable, how do you, how do you address that? How do you voice it? How do you say, you know what, this is what I do. I want my job assessed by HR. I want my qualifications verified. I want that promotion, and this is the reason why. And if you do have an educational program, yes, that's that's what I you know want to do, and, and this is what you should pay for. And fortunately, I'm in that environment that is incredibly supportive of that. But you have to not only I think not not only tell your own story, you have to listen to what the younger people are going through. And how do you help them? Because the path that you're making, right, it's not defined. You know, you might be in the front, to your point, Martin, you you know, hey, I got to go get this situation rectified. But sometimes you got to get out of the way, right? And you've got to let those young, vibrant people go their own way and say, you know what, you do need to leave now and I will be behind you. So that's pretty much where I'm at right now. And I'm, I'm, uh, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm able to do that. So, yeah, well, and there's a couple of interesting points there. And we, we got into this discussion last week where we were talking about that all boys club, right? And how, if one of them does something wrong, they get a slap on the wrist, but for everybody else, you get HR. one shot. Yeah. You get one shot. And so I think obviously we need to talk a lot about um, the all boys club and, and how do we handle that? I think it's gotten a little bit better, but it's still out there. There's still some traditions. But there's, there, there has to be a balance. And this is the, this is the struggle, right? This is the, you know, I, I am having conversations to, you know, this month with men who have daughters and they're saying, Angie, how is it? What do we need to do to change it? And I love that, you know, mm-hmm. is that conversational percentage smaller? Yes. But the fact that they're having those conversations, it's, that's the balance where you don't want to say, okay, it's an all boys club. So you're, you don't want to, alienate those guys but the fact of the matter is those guys are having those conversations are smart enough to realize when you call them out you're not calling them out too so it's just it's a balance you know right i I don't know what the group thinks about that one yeah i think go ahead i think we need to contemplate gender bias in this whole conversation as well i've spoken openly about sexual assault Mm -hmm. on linkedin like one in four women the victim of this vicious crime one in six men are as well and we don't talk about these things in the workplace and we don't talk about the behaviors the classic example of the wrong behaviors amy cooper in central park she was doing the wrong thing the courageous young man lgbtq african-american he actually wrote the first lgbtq character in the marvel comics in the late 90s early 2000s wow he was a trailblazer was doing the right thing my husband is a black gay man so that resonated with me because what if it had been him walking in central park when we talk about the behaviors it invites other people into the conversation and i think it has more impact to say men this is the behavior of other men and it invites the, the allyship because I think most people resonate with behaviors. And I think some men don't feel they're part of the conversation in Australia. 75% of suicides are men. Suicide is one of the highest causes of death among young men. And in the LGBTQ pulse community, the rates of self-harm and suicide are off the planet. It, it's, and it's that when we start including people in the conversation, we have a greater opportunity to have impact. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would absolutely agree because I was going to jump in on what Angie was saying. Like I've, you know, I was in sales for eight years. You know, I've, I've been invited to, you know, somebody who's married, I've been invited to their weekend getaway and was like, you know, if you don't go, you don't get my business. You know, I've, I've been in a car and gone for lunch for somebody and they, they told me to pull over into the corner and put this, started putting their hand on my knee. And I was like, guy, what the hell are you doing? Get out of my car. Right. But these are the conversations that and the stories and the things that we've 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 gone through in our lives that we need to be that we need to own. We need to be truthful about it. We need to talk about these situations and the behaviors like Martin was saying. Um, There's an episode coming up about bullying where I'm going to be sharing a lot about my story because I was bullied from the time I was very young, um, into my adult years. And, you know, Lamont was talking about the time in your life where you weren't talking to anybody. You weren't saying anything. You were very silent because you were worried about what other people were saying. There was a year and a half in elementary school that I didn't say a word to anybody because I was bullied so much. And we're going to get into bullying a little bit later. But what I'm trying to say here is that Martin's right. These are behaviors that we need to point out, that we need to be talking about. Because to Claudia's point, he thought he was doing something nice for her. Maybe they don't see it the way we see it. And maybe we have to educate and we have to showcase what behaviors are right, what behaviors are wrong, and how do we change those? And one of the ways that we do that is through conversation, which I'm so glad that we're having today. Does anybody else want to jump on what Martin was saying about behaviors? Madison, I know you came off mute. No, I, um, I, I completely agree with what Martin was saying. And I, I immediately even thought of the trans community because they're, they're inspiring a space where Yes, there are the dimensions of diversity, let's call it, that you can see. Like, y'all can see my skin is brown. You know, like, and and I've said that I'm Black. That's something that you can see. You can see that I'm a female, but... It, it's it's no longer that cu- that cut and dry um, when you think about all of the cognitive diversity, right? Background, uh, you know, work experience, and so that's where my mind went when when Martin was talking as well in terms of certain groups um, being disproportionately um, targeted when you think of assault or suicide and all of that stuff. Um, and I think we in having these conversations are being inspired and challenged to think more about the full spectrum of what it means to be a diverse um, human being and what that looks like. You you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, obviously we talk about the harassment um, in the workplace. And usually when we talk about it, you know, we talk about it from the perspective of female to male. Um, But I was in a situation where, um, you know, I was in procurement and um, there was a female um, salesperson uh, that, coax me into a conversation. Now, again, I, I could have stopped the conversation, um, but I continued the conversation because, again, if you ask me a question, I've always been the type of person that I'm going to speak my mind. And so we continued to go down in conversation and it crossed the line uh, to a point where, you know, I should not have proceeded in terms of what the subject of the conversation was, but she continued. And so I continued. So we started having this conversation. So long story short, um, she was responsible for a uh, category that was going out for bid that I was responsible for. And so all of a sudden, uh, my vice president called me into her office and, uh, and told me that she made a complaint about the conversation that we had. And I said, 
wait a minute, you brought it up. You continue to coach me into this. Yes, I could have stopped, but not at, at not in one point in time did anybody show any any situation where, you know, there was, you know, a resistance to having that conversation. But yet strategically, you you bring it up when we're having when we're about to have this category. Um, and actually, no, I take it back. She called me. And so to a point where I, I guess they, they wanted to use that as like a threat to say, OK, we know something about you uh, that we're going to tell your boss if you don't do such and such. So then I went to my boss and said, this is what happened in the conversation. I'm going to get these guys engaged. So from that point on, I was I was you know reluctant to uh, to say anything um, that, you know, would be misconstrued. Yeah. And that, that is tough, right? That's the, that's part of the discussion that we're having today because that story and the impact that came from what you just went through with that means that you're not going to be as open next time, or you're going to watch what you say. And at the end of the day, we want to be more collaborative. We want the working environment to be a place where, I mean, we spend what, like eight hours a day. I mean, now working from home, I don't know about you guys, but like 20 hours a day, baby. (laughs) All the hours. It is, um, it is such an interesting, um, experience to listen to each of you share uh, what I am sure are points uh, have been painful experiences and we never at the moment of learning those lessons go back and say oh let me write this one down on my notebook you know it's Mm -hmm. only the perspective of time it's only when we find ourselves in that situation and we say I recognize this so am I going to behave differently will I I respond differently. And, and, and back to um, the point of the woman in the park uh, behaving incorrectly. Because English is not my first language, I've always resorted to idioms and phrases to help me navigate. Just like I got the French and the Dutch wrong, I, I do get many correctly. And one of my favorite phrases that was in a little poster hanging from my dorm in college was, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. And it's such a basic reminder of how I relate to what is happening to me. How will I respond? And more importantly, and now more than ever, um, in a social media world, uh, keeping your emotion in check, and that doesn't mean giving up being correct. I had a very non-work-related experience. I took my car to get detailed. Uh, They damaged the car seat. I came back to pick up the car. They didn't say, Mrs. Free, this happened, sorry. They said, you brought the car in that way. And I was determined to prove them wrong. And the car dealer owner, three men, big, huge men and me. uh, And at one point he said, you are, I don't want to say a bad word, but start with the letter P. You are me off on your attitude that we were, um, that that we damaged your car. And I said, you did. At the end, I paid them $80 for having cleaned the car, and I left because I said, what are my options? Call the police, get in an argument. I am the CEO of a nonprofit in this local suburb of Chicago. Do I want to become, I don't want to say the name, the female name that everybody who loses their cool becomes? So I think that we are... in a a dichotomy. At the one level, we have to be really assertive 
and confident, but we also have to be very mindful that we are being watched in terms of our reaction. Yeah. And um, so that the final point is that that is why character is what happens when no one is watching. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I say something about Lamont and the title of your book? Right. From a mother's point of view, I, I almost want to title it um, a tribute to a woman who who gave birth to me out of wedlock. You know, she didn't have it. You know, we had this abortion dichotomy and this this stuff going on, especially with the Supreme Court nominee coming up. But I, as a mother, I would love to see more focus, more energy, more money, more talk on how do we support that young child to make the right decision and stop blaming her and stop criticizing her for the choice. Instead, say, guess what? Here's five great resources. Here's 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 an adoption clinic. Here's a here's a couple that is, cannot have children. They've been trying for ten years. You know, I mean, in my mind, I commend your mom. You know what? She took you on. She had a whole. <laughs> you know, slew of challenges looking ahead of her. But guess what? She gave birth to you. And you know she what? did the best that she could. And she did okay from what I'm seeing. <laughs> if you get a chance to read the book, you'll see that everything in my life I dedicate to my mom. Awesome. Um, the book is, is her story. I mean, that's what I say. It's her story. Um, so, you know, using that, that, that word definitely does not take away anything from my mom. You know, I would not be here today if it wasn't for her. And, and up until the point when she left this earth in 2015, uh, she was my best friend. And so um, it was really more of a tribute to her to say that, um, you know, here it is a, a single mom uh, that had no resources, had, a, you know, an eighth grade education, um, you know, that found a way to get me out. And I talk about it That's in the right. In terms of, you know, we concocted a plan together and said, how are we going to get me out? And she sacrificed a lot of what she had in her life that she could have done uh, to get me through uh, to a point where she did some things that were, um, you know, legally not right. But she did what she had to do. And so I didn't criticize her for that at all. I, I just said, you know what, she mom knew um, she knew that I had a chance. And so she sacrificed everything that she could do to give me that chance so that I could, you know, um, get out the right way, the way that she was not able to get out. And I'm telling you, uh, I never had a bigger a bigger cheerleader in my life you know, than my mom. That's why I miss her every single day. So yeah, so no, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and you know, my only hope, and I'll, I'll shut up after this one, is that, you know, a couple of generations from now, we have people that say, what does that word mean? That's yeah. my only hope, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so we could talk about this topic for ever. I feel like we could like keep going for a couple of hours. And I want to ask you guys one last question in just a minute. But just to Claudia's point, one of the sayings that I love, love, love so much is life is lived forward and understood backwards. And if you take a look at what you know, take a listen to what we've been talking about today, the stories, the impact, how we've learned from them, how we've turned stuff around. Um, that quote just st sticks with me all the time. So one last thing before we go, um, what would what would you guys share? What is the one piece of advice for the rest of us that stands out from your own personal story? What is one piece of advice you would give everybody in the audience? Angie, I'm going to start with you. Um, culturally, if you're not aligning with the organization, just get out because <laughs> you, you can and you will and you'll be okay. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Lamont. 
follow your passion. You know, I think too often we get we get stuck in in uh, what we think other people should um, or, or professions that we think is beneficial for others. But follow your passion, and the money will always follow. You know, don't worry about that part. It'll it'll come. Absolutely, Madison. Okay, so this might be a medium-sized mouthful, but a few things. So one, professionally speaking, I I do love what Angie brought up before about the hard line, soft line. So here's my advice. If you are leading an organization and you have chosen to draw a hard line in the sand, please don't have me go to your corporate leadership page and see not an ounce of diversity. That's that's number one. Like if you're going to draw the hard line, I need to see the fruits of y'all doing some work to keep that hard line firm. So that's the professional piece of advice. Um, But personally, my piece of advice is that we absolutely have to not only see color, but also develop that sixth sense that allows us to proactively seek to understand all the stuff we can't see about what makes a person different. Um, I hear a lot of times people saying, you know, I don't, I don't see color. I understand the sentiment behind that, but I don't agree with it. We have to see it so that we can work together to build a better tomorrow, let's call it. So like, those are my, those are like my two things, if nothing else, before, before we wrap up today. Awesome. Thank you, Martin. Two, well, three words. What's tattered on my back? Courage. Fear nothing. If you live a life of fear and think what other people say, you're not living in life for yourself. Awesome. Claudia? Truly believe in yourself. We have tremendous potential. Tremendous potential. As humans, as, as members of a community, and when we are able to believe in ourselves and we get there by different roads, sometimes very painful roads with loss, tragedy, or sometimes when we realize that we can be successful. When you truly believe in your potential and you align yourself not only with the right environment, but with good people, with good people that want your success, who want to see you progress because maybe they see a younger self in you or they see a better version of themselves. Find those people. They exist. I think they can start with these episodes. Uh, you, you have a terrific opportunity to, to learn through what we are talking today. Um, believe in yourself. Humans are extraordinarily capable of doing the right thing. Awesome. And we are going to tag everybody on LinkedIn. So if people want to get in touch with you, we'll be doing that when we post this out on social media as well. So what a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much to Martin, Angie, Lamont, Claudia, and Madison for joining me today. You know, it's such an honor to be able to delve into other people's lives because everybody's experiences are different and taking the time to truly listen and learn is what makes us better people in business and in life. Thanks again to our sponsors, Ships, Apex, and Mercado for helping to make this show happen. And don't forget to join us again next month for episode three of Blended. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. 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 Thank you.